Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles, your Smart Cities podcast for everything investment, action, and outcomes. I'm your host, Adam Beck, uh, Executive Director of the Smart Cities Council here in the Australia and New Zealand region, uh, and delighted to bring to you yet another episode around our uh, first round of uh, topics on the Chronicles relating to strategy uh, and collaboration. Um, and all other things that allow us to sort of activate a smart city's journey. And joining me today uh, to help do that, to talk about strategy, is Patrice Donovan from the City of Canterbury-Bankstown in New South Wales. Good morning, Patrice. Good morning, Adam. How are things? Very good, very good. Thanks for having me. No, that's a pleasure. Um, I've, uh, I've done a couple of episodes around strategy and, and spoken to a number of local government organisations across Australia and New Zealand. Uh, I must say, uh, upon reading the Smart CB City Roadmap that we're going to talk about today, um, I had uh, numerous questions that I wanted to dive into. Uh, it's, a, it's a great document. It's a unique document, and I'm very much looking forward to this. Um, but for our listeners, can I start by asking you a quick question about yourself? Who are you and what do you do? Of course. So my name is Patrice Donovan. I am the Digital Innovation, in parentheses, Smart Cities Program Manager at Canterbury Bankstown Council, which is basically a long way of saying that I'm the person responsible for innovation at, uh, at Canterbury Bankstown Council. So my job sort of involves connecting the dots, breaking down silos and building up partnerships across not only the organisation but different arms of government as well, um, advising on a whole-of-life project basis and empowering and mobilising staff to the best of my ability to create a smart future. It sounds incredible. Are you having fun? <laughs> I am. It's, <laughs> it's a very rewarding job. <laughs> I... Um... Uh, I, I certainly, in reading the, uh, the roadmap document, um, was extremely sort of um, fulfilled at working through the, the, the vision and the principles. Um, and I think uh, through, through that document, the city of Canterbury-Bankstown is nothing but sort of vibrant and energetic and um, diverse. And so I'm looking, looking forward to sort of hearing more. But um, just further on, on Canterbury-Bankstown, uh, Patrice, give our listeners a bit of a sense of, of, of where Canterbury-Bankstown is, uh, its key attributes. Uh, a number of listeners probably don't know where it is or, or what, it, what it looks like or what, it, uh, what its sort of vision is. So could you share that with us first? Sure. Canterbury-Ringstown is uh, roughly 20 kilometres west of Sydney's cent uh, central business district. So we're about 41 suburbs covering just over 110 square kilometres to form a really highly urbanised metropolitan environment. We have a population of roughly 368,000, which is uh, expected to grow by over 20% within the next 17 years. Uh, but when we look at Canterbury-Bankstown, it's it's interesting to look at the statistics behind that because we are, of course, the largest population um, and council within New South Wales, certainly one of the larger ones in Australia as well. Uh, we're the second largest LGA in terms of businesses housed in New South Wales. We're the fifth largest LGA in terms of jobs housed in New South Wales and the eighth largest economy. So when you look at those stats and really break things down, we're really, I guess, a key stakeholder in the success of Sydney. Um, 
does that uh, does that feel like a bit of pressure? Absolutely. <laughs> but with that being said, it's also really highly rewarding as well. I'm in a very fortunate position where I'd, I'd have the ability to make change and a great capacity to make that change. So I feel very honoured to be able to do that. Yeah, and um, that sort of greater Western Sydney area is, is, is rapidly changing, isn't it? I mean, the projected um, growth, not only in Canterbury-Bankstown, but just that that region is, um, is somewhat of a real hotspot nationally in Australia when I look at a map and when I look at um, the number of things that are happening now, um, the, the, the pipeline of work and investment, um, you, you're going to be busy for a little, little while yet. Absolutely. But what a great opportunity, hey? I know. I know. That's right. So let's talk about this strategy. Um, so you released the, the Smart CB City Roadmap um, October last year, 2018. Um, can you sort of do some back engineering for us as to sort of when you started writing that document, um, why you produced this document um, and that sort of contextual uh, explanation of, um, of your smart cities journey so far? Of course. I think uh, first and foremost, I, I certainly can't take all of the credit for it. We have been very lucky at Canterbury Bankstone Council that we have a very um, passionate mayor about smart cities. We also have uh, a very passionate executive team and leaders across the organisation. Um, and I think it would be fair to say a very enthusiastic group of councillors and a culture of innovation within the organisation. So it's really, you know, mix that up in a pot and you've got a really sweet spot of um, creating a smart city in an organisation. So in April of 2018, before I arrived at the council, the mayor passed a minute to use technology and data to make lives of our citizens better for the future. So he asked that the council would investigate options to create its own plan for smart city success. Um, I came on board in July of 2018. And then from April till, till October, we sort of spent time drafting the roadmap um, quite closely with our community and uh, James, Kerry and myself worked together to develop it. Um, in October, we then sent it up to our council who in principle endorsed it for public exhibition. Um, I think the really interesting thing people tend to sort of go, what, whenever I say it, is that we're going out to consultation for a really, really long time with this. We're going out to consultation from October until June uh, 2019. Um, and the reason for doing that is to make sure that nobody's left behind in the journey. Um, there's a lot to learn. There's a whole heap of projects that we need to have done in the back end before we sort of start our own smart cities journey. Um, and we want to make sure that we're really doing it right and really heavily engaging the community because this is for them. So it's, um, it's really important that we get everyone involved. Yeah. Okay. So let's, um, so immediately I, I jump into my, my questions to seek further, um, further information as to, as, as to sort of the, the purpose of this journey and, and the process. So, um, so what I find interesting here and, and talk me through this, Patrice, um, um, sort of the average, and that can be risky to say the average, but the average approach in creating a smart city strategy kind of typically looks like we want to develop a strategy, we'll go do some engagement, uh, we'll get the feedback and then we'll write the strategy. Um, you guys have sort of flipped that on its head a little bit here where you've sort yeah. of created a, a, a particular type of 
smart cities document and now you're going to go on quite an extensive journey can you talk me through the the ration the rationale here and, and let me let me start with a very pointed question and then if you could answer the one i just asked but the first question to start with is is this a plan is this a strategy is it a roadmap describe this document and then sort of what that rationale was in terms of document then engagement and are we going to see another one? How, how does the process play out here? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the most important point when we look at strategies, particularly local government strategies, um, strategies tend to sit on a shelf, right? <laughs> um, and they tend to lack a little bit of love. And we, we really didn't want that when we came to smart cities. I think the most important point about smart cities and, and whatever we're going to call this smart cities journey in five years, 10 years time is that it's always designed to be flexible and iterative. Um, I think, you know, it, it's important that we, we certainly didn't want a smart cities strategy where it was something that we ticked the box at the end of the day and we sort of said, okay, we've done that, we're done with smart cities. We didn't want something where, you know, a, a smart cities team was set up and, and everything smart cities or innovation was sent to that team to just pump out projects. We wanted to really embed smartness or innovation in everything that we do, in all the work that we do across the council. So that's why we developed the roadmap looking at rather than, you know, this is what we need to do, boom, boom, boom. It's, it's, this is how we embed that culture of innovation into our organisation. This is our commitment of how we're going to deal with smart city projects across the board. Um, this is the project methodology that we're going to use. This is how we're going to prioritise things. And ultimately, this is how we're going to create real improvements for our community. Yeah, okay. So let's... Um, thank you for, sh for sharing. Um, let's sort of jump into that. I feel like this is a, is, is a bit like book club. Um, because I, so, I, I sort of want to, I, I want to jump to my, my favorite, uh, my favorite chapter and my favorite page, which I'm going to get to in a moment. Um, but just for our listeners sure. who may be, uh, at a desktop computer multitasking, um, what you probably want to be, um, putting into a search browser there is, um, smart CB city roadmap. Uh, it'll bring up, um, the document that we're, we're talking about with Patrice. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a, Great read, 24 pages. Um, I'm going to sort of head head to the start of um, the sections that I really like. I mean, I like all of the sections, and I don't want to I don't want to downplay the real critical, important um, contextual pieces up front, Patrice, around principles and visions and things like that. But as I as I was reading this document, I felt like it was talking to me because of the way that you put headings in this document and the way that you describe the particular section, you know, things to do. I mean, it seems quite obvious, right? It's a, it's, it's a chapter on the things that you're going to do, but very rarely do we see in these type of documents, that type of personality and language coming out, you know, here's the things to do. Here's the things we're not going to do, you know? So I felt like it was, it was, um, it was, it was talking to me. So um, I want to head to sort of page 28 around about there because I really start um, getting engaged in sort of what's potentially coming up. So you, you've sort of, you've, you've, you've structured this, this part of the document with, you know, things to do now, things to do next, you know, things that we'll get to at some point in time. Can you sort of talk to me about um, 
how you how you sort of got to this this list of you know things that you think you, you want to do now and um, you know we, we jump straight into sort of governance and building a governance structure um, I found you know page 29 30 um, particularly around the governance structure absolutely fascinating your smart city team um, the level of detail you've gone into, and I don't mean detail to an extent that your eyes start to bleed, but really articulating how you, you know, CB City as an organisation is going to set itself up for success. Talk us through kicking off the things to do now being focused around governance. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you very much for that feedback. It's, we always get a little bit flooded every time somebody brings up the Smart City City Roadmap. We've had really good response to it and still getting my head around how something so simple and, and something that was, I guess, so easy to really write and, and work on has become so impactful. So thank you for that. Um, but I think when we looked at, you know, the things to do now, the things to do next and the things that we'll get to, it was really about just breaking it down into simple think. And I think when you go back to the, the whole purpose of this document, it was to really break that down and make it easier for not only our community, but our staff to understand and demystify the whole concept of smart cities. So when we looked at what to do now and what to do next, it was really around those, I guess it would be fair to say the unsexy side of smart cities. Mm -hmm. People tend to think, you know, smart bins and wireless and IoT and all of these really exciting technology bullying things when we talk about smart cities. And the reality of the situation for us is when we're setting ourselves up for long-term success in this space, there's a whole heap of things that need to be done in the background um, before we really start putting tech in ground. So that governance structure is, you know, making sure that we're staying honest to our purpose, um, building the future city panel and having community stakeholder forums, having a city data task force and a, and a city smart team. It's all, you know, just internal checks and balances and external as well checks and balances to make sure that we're staying true to that purpose. Um, it's things like, you know, uh, building the data lake and an IoT platform so that the things that we're putting in the ground, the technology has something to feed back into. Like I said, not particularly the sexy side of smart cities, but I think that's certainly the critical place to start. And unfortunately where, um, you know, a lot of people maybe don't start a lot of the smart city strategies that we do see talk more about the technology and the bling pieces. So um, let's stick with um, the unsexiness of smart cities and governance because I, I don't want to leave it yet. <laughs> Um, so sure. for, for our listeners, when they get a chance to, to sort of look at the document and read it, um, there's, there's a part here that says that you're going to build a, a city smart team. Now, this isn't just a, a bullet point or a dot, depending on where you are in the world, bullet point, dot point. It's not just a, a, a point that says we will build a, an internal team. Um, you go into quite some extensive detail, um, the role of your senior executive leader, um, You've got managers, senior leaders, staff across different departments. You talk about um, the need for a communicator and engager. Uh, you've then got technical specialists. Um, this is some real deep thinking you guys have done in, in really making sure you've got a strong cross-organisational team. Um, talk, talk, us, talk us through that. 
So I think when we look at um, what I mentioned earlier about, you know, we didn't want a strategy that sits on the shelf, right? Um, it's the same thing with implementing that. We didn't want a team city smart that, you know, it's, it's essentially a project management office where everything smart just gets handed to that team and there's no cross-organizational learning. So we've completely structured the way that smart cities in our council works as a decentralized model. Um, that city smart team in the governance structure that you're seeing on page 30 of the, of the smart city city roadmap is really looking at what that looks like. It's very easy to say things like, you know, we're on a decentralized model, but what does that actually look like for people? So, um, you know, there's, there's, no point me going and doing 150 projects. I can certainly achieve more in the organization by mobilizing and empowering lots of subject matter experts to be able to do the work. Um, and that, that's really what that looks like. We need, it, we need more than one person to lead the journey. We need, um, you know, senior executives to get involved. We need subject matter experts. We need people that can communicate the entire process. Um, so it's really about what ingredients do we need to be able to make this decentralised model a success and how do we go about implementing that? So on implementation, um, Patrice, one of the sort of first key sort of to do next um, initiatives and activities, um, you, you go straight to data and you go to data in a big yeah. way in terms of making making sure you, you you check in on your existing sort of situation. You, you specify here that you'll do a data audit uh, and then you work through a number of other initiatives, you know, building a data lake and an IoT platform, developing, you know, good solid, um, you know, cyber and, and data management protocols. Um, you, you go straight to data. Tell us, Tell us about that, you know, why and what, what's, what's the sort of the thinking and, the, and the, the, the big goal there? Well, I think data is great. Um, dare I say data is almost a bit of a buzzword with government at the moment, but I think it's only really great if we actually use it to make meaning and drive better decision making. So I think, as I said earlier, there's a whole heap of unsexy things that need to be done to be able to to build that data repository in a way that it truly makes meaning for our organisation. And I think there's also a lot of data sets that we collect um, as councils, as government, and a lot of data sets out there that we can leverage on that will give us the data that we need to be able to make better decisions. Um, there is, I mean, local government is notorious for having a whole heap of unstructured data. <laughs> we, don't, we don't necessarily categorise it and cross-reference it across across organisations, but also across government borders as well, um, to be able to make those really strong decisions. So this is really about building the platform and the, and the structure to be able to have that data readily accessible and at our fingertips and create a level of transparency, not just for the community, but also for the organisation to make those better decisions. I just want to click pause for a moment, Patrice, and I want to go back and ask a contextual question around, um, I suppose, templates or standards or, um, you know, who, who you learnt from prior to creating this strategy. I mean, I, I assume you started with sort of a blank sheet of paper and then you sort of built up this roadmap. Um, what, what, what sort of, what else out there in, informed 
what you what you created in this roadmap inspired you you know data is obviously a key one like you could have started with eight other things you know you started with governance and you you know data then sort of is a key logical step you know share with us those inspirations um you know did you have some friends you spoke to have you been hanging out you know with, with, with others in this space what's what are some of those more contextual um you know uh, bits of inf uh, inspiration and, and guidance that helped you create the 24 pages that you've created here? Yeah, uh, I think certainly we look towards the United States for their smart city success. I think they're probably fair to say about two years ahead of their journey um, than Australian smart cities are. So we certainly looked to them and sort of saw who was who was really succeeding in the space. Um, personal favourite of mine is you know City of Portland, um, and I know San Jose as well. We worked quite closely with them in developing this and learning a lot from them. Um, but I think as well the community really informed it, and it, it was exactly what you mentioned, starting with a blank piece of paper. And to the credit of my director James Carey, before I came on board, he literally sat in a room with community members and sat there with a blank sheet of paper and said, right, what do we, what do we do? What does this look like for you? And, and what's going to work? What's not going to work? And let's get started. So um, I was very fortunate that when I walked through the door, I had, you know, a, a pretty well-developed idea that I just kind of had to Frankenstein and, and put my piece and put my thoughts onto it. But it was really looking at smart cities across the world, certainly from the American space. Okay, no, thank, thanks for that. <clears throat> so just getting back to um, what, what sort of, um, you know, as, as, as part of your sort of what to do next section, you've got in here, develop a, a public pilot, uh, sorry, a pilot, a public dashboard um, with, with KPIs. Tell us through, mm -hmm. talk, talk us through what, um, what that might look like, uh, what you're hoping to achieve with that. Yeah, it's really that level of transparency that I just mentioned. So not just for the community, but also for the organisation. Um, having the community be able to access, uh, access what our council is delivering for them is a really strong tool, but also internally having our staff be able to access real-time data about how they're performing or how they're tracking or, you know, where things are up to um, is a really important tool that it, it sounds silly to say that we don't have that, <laughs> but mm. most councils don't at this point in time. So it's really about bringing us up to speed and, and using that to create a level of transparency and, and make it easier for everybody to understand at a glance where we're at. And Patrice, is it fair to say that, and I do find that, and I agree with that comment around sort of most councils don't necessarily really have a, a clear handle on sort of performance more broadly, but is it fair to say that, um, you know, it's, you know, 2019 now and we have uh, at our fingertips so many uh, data sources that we can sort of tap into that you're really now in a position to, to go forward and, and embrace this idea of, of understanding, you know, more holistically and at a, at a more granular level of detail, what the performance of the city is. It, it, it's getting, do you think it's getting easier given those data sources potentially? 
Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head with the fact that it's 2019, right? It is 2019 and we need to collectively demand a better standard of government service and collaboration to that point as well across all levels of government in Australia. So I think um, data will certainly help us get there. I think that, um, you know, data can certainly create a level of complexity when looking at decision making. So we're certainly not blind to that. Um, but if it can help us to inform better decision making, then why not use it? Um, it can only really help us. But like I said, there is that there is that element of potential, potentially drowning in data. So we're conscious that we want to really make meaning of it in a way that is useful to the community, useful to the organisation as well. And that's really where that dashboarding piece comes into it. So rather than having, you know, databases where everybody can access thousands and thousands of pages of unstructured data, we're really looking at how do we make meaning of that data for people so that at a glance it's really easy. Mm, absolutely. Um, the, the, the roadmap then goes on to listing out a whole range of things that you will get to and you very, you very openly and honestly say, hey, here's a bunch of things that we, we hope to get onto at some stage. Um, in, in, that, uh, in that list of, um, I suppose, strategies or investments or initiatives, um, you've got in there working with, um, uh, with technology and, and startup accelerators. My, my question to you, Patrice, is, um, you know, they, they certainly are very much an emerging critical sort of stakeholder group because just so much exciting stuff gets, you know, cr created from those uh, innovative startups. Um, that's sort of one end of the scale. I need to ask the question around technology vendors, you know, our, uh, our sort of ecosystem of, you know, large companies, whether they're national, international companies. What, what is your, sort of your, your day-to-day -day, um, relationship process? Um, what happens when you get a phone call from a big tech company that wants to go, you know, have, have a coffee with you to sort of sell some of their goods? Um, what's, what's sort of, what sort of the city's approach to sort of, you know, the, the big tech companies at the moment in the context of the roadmap and where you're going? I think I, I tend to get, you know, roughly about 100 requests for a coffee meeting every single week from technology vendors. Um, I know that I'm certainly not in a unique position. That's everybody in, in a similar position in sort of an innovation space. I think there's a lot of money being thrown around at the moment in the innovation space for government. Um, so it's sort of an opportunity that vendors are looking at. I think it would be fair to say that at the moment, in my experience, vendors are somewhat missing the point with um, smart cities and innovation approaches. That's not to say that that's entirely their responsibility. I think a lot of the responsibility falls back on us as government to be able to educate vendors about how to better work with us and meet our needs. Um, but as I said, I am getting, <laughs> you know, 100 meeting requests each, each week. And if I accepted every single one of those, I would, I, I would spend you know, a hundred hours a week drinking coffee, I would be very shaky at that, but then I would also not achieve anything. So I have to be very careful about who I choose to meet with. There's also procurement legislation and, and probity restrictions that I don't want to, um, you know, certainly put the council or, or in unnecessary risk, but also lead on the vendor. I think um, 
it's one thing that I find really interesting about the way that vendors contact me is that not one vendor yet has contacted me and flipped the conversation saying, you know, I know that you're doing X, Y, and Z. How can we help with that? What do we need to build? What technology do you need to, to get that done? What technology doesn't exist? Our entire ethos is to be at the forefront of innovation. And this is me demonstrating that to you. It's always, you know, here's one I prepared earlier, buy my product. Um, and I think that's a little bit of a missed opportunity for vendors because innovation is not, just selling the same thing over and over again to different clients that operate in really complex environments. It's, it's not, you know, promising the world, delivering an atlas for the simple reason that you haven't spent the time mapping the actual problem. And it's certainly not finding a single solution, selling it and deeming it successful and final as well. It's, it's constantly iterative. So I think our interest in working with vendors and bringing on partnerships is more that beginning piece of, of actually mapping out the problems and designing a solution that's going to work long-term for our community rather than, you know, <laughs> solutions that get pumped out to every single council or every single government agency as, as um, one size fits all or off the shelf. Yeah, I, I, I love your approach there and would certainly agree with that. And I think we, we're certainly, the, the marketplace around smart cities is, is certainly trying to, um, adjust at the moment, and 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 look to to your credit um, and to to Canterbury Bankstown's uh, credit, Patrice. Um, this roadmap, um, if anything, is is a very clear uh, articulation of you know what what you're expecting um, your stakeholders to sort of align with, and um, it takes me to a key section of your roadmap around smart city project management. Um, you've got some, uh, you've got some criteria in there around selecting projects. Um, with my vendor hat on, um, you're really talking to me in a way that can, um, you know, help the supply side um, engage more, you know, effectively, efficiently aligned with what you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, it, aligning with what you just sort of explained to us there. Um, talk us through these criteria that you've got around smart city project management um, and how you see those playing out in, in real life because, you know, you've acknowledged that there's going to be a lot of potential um, projects that emerge. This is obviously an attempt to try and make sure you focus on the, the most meaningful ones. And I think also an attempt to make sure that we demystify what smart actually is. I think it's it's easy to get caught up in smart cities as well and, and sort of say that everything is smart. It can become quite overwhelming, particularly to a larger cohort of staff when we do work on a decentralised model. So we put that project management approach together to really look at prioritising all of the work that we need to get done. Not to say that only projects that fit that criteria are going to be the ones that we do. There are going to be some things that are done independently by other units. But when we look at, you know, over the next two years, certainly what we're going to be investing our time into, it really does need to meet that criteria, um, that three-phase criteria that we've got around, you know, whether it actually meets our principles, if it contributes to our community strategic plan and the pillars, um, how it rates on our impact scale and, and risk and, and effort um, and collaboration, if it can be tested, if it can be scaled. So I think that that's really what we're trying to achieve there. 
Um, I, I've rarely seen, I think I, I'm confident in saying that I've, I've sort of rarely seen that before. Yet, yet another sort of demonstration that, that this roadmap is, is, is quite unique. Um, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. I, I love, <laughs> I love page 40 and, and the heading is a cautionary note. Um, <laughs> what were you thinking and, and what is that and why? I think this is the realist in, in James and myself looking at, you know, smart cities can become so overwhelming and so big for so many people. I think certainly I have been a part of a lot of projects at the local government level where there's really high hopes for innovative outcomes, but you sort of get stuck in this analysis paralysis or you, you get stuck with um, the nitty gritty details. And it's really about kind of just starting and, and acknowledging that there's certain things that we can't control or there's certain elements that, that will be a reality of the project no matter what. So this was about us, you know, having a section in the roadmap that is used as the document that we've sort of used as a commitment to the entire organisation on how we're going to tackle smart city projects, understanding that things like, you know, digital isn't the only answer. Um, so there's a lot of questions I think every day I'll get a question about, you know, is, is it a smart city project if it doesn't have technology? The answer is yes, it's just a different medium. Um, so, you know, digital isn't the only answer. There's things that, you know, we need to be aware of obsolescence and we can't put a solution in that may not be successful in one year, two years, three years. We need to make sure that our investment is, is strong for the community. Um, and I think the big one, my favourite one, is sort of that very last one around it costs money to make money and or efficiencies I've put in, in brackets there. Some of these smart city projects that we take on can be seen as quite expensive um, and I think that is certainly a barrier to taking on smart cities or innovation work across the local government sector, certainly in Australia. But I think we're in a space where population is going to increase by 21% in our LGA alone. Um, we've got things like climate disruption, disruption, geopolitical shift, changing demographics, scarcity of resources. And the answer isn't simply more, more, more every single time. We can't keep adding staff to the FTE headcount. We can't keep, you know, um, giving more people space in their bins if we're, if we're running out of resources. So it's really about being smarter with what we do investing that money so that we have a smarter future and um, and we can be successful in the long run. Uh, I certainly think the roadmap has, you know, expressed those, um, those sort of views very, very, very clearly. Um, and, and I must say the, the, the authentic voice that's coming through just, just on that sort of a precautionary note section, you know, that that's you being very, uh, very open and, and honest. And um, w was there a point at which you ever felt sort of a little bit vulnerable in, in writing this document? Was, and was there ever a moment where you thought to yourself, you know, putting this up to council, I mean, what, what are they going to think? Um, how, how confident were you in, in sort of the, the style of this document when you put it up to council? me I'm, I'm not sure when people ask me this question about the style and, and point out how different it is from a typical strategy or a roadmap I think 
Um, maybe it's the communicator coming out in me that I've always really favoured simple speak. I've always read really long documents and thought, what are they actually saying or is anyone actually <laughs> reading this? Yes. So I think perhaps it's just me. Um, I, I, I know that James and I wrote this how we would want to read it. Um, and we knew that in going towards a decentralised model and making sure that everybody was responsible for innovation at our council and, and not just internally as well. It was making sure that our small businesses were mobilised and empowered and our community was as well. We had to really, really demystify it and make it simple. So I think um, certainly we were prepared for comments or conversation about it being a little bit too simple or, um, you know, <laughs> not how a typical strategy was written. But overwhelmingly, the response that we've gotten has been just so positive and exactly what you've mentioned about it being quite simple to read and, and quite easy to read as well. So we've been certainly very flattered, but also really chuffed that the results have come back that people are actually reading it. And um, I think what I've been especially excited about is that it's not a strategy that sits on the shelf. It's not something that people aren't looking at. You know, I had copies of it printed when we went out to our counsellors and I've, I ran out within the first two days. Our, our entire organisation is asking for a copy and referencing it all the time. So I think you can't look past the success of that and using simple speak in strategy documents. Yeah. No, congratulations on that. Um, so Thank look, you. Look, looking forward now, and of course the key the key part of this is, is implementation. So um, you've mentioned to us that uh, you're out for, you know, engagement with um, external stakeholders at the moment, your community and businesses and others. Um, that, that sort of wraps up um, mid-year. Um, still sort of in the context of strategy and document creation, what happens after you close your community engagement exercise? So there'll be a little bit of referencing in terms of what do we need to change, what hasn't worked, what hasn't resonated with people, or what do we need to maybe add into the entire roadmap. Um, there is a lot of work happening behind the scenes while we say that we're out to consultation until July, uh, sorry, June of, of 2019. There is that to do now, to do next section. We're very much tracking along and, and getting those projects started and off the ground so that we can hit the ground, the ground running in June. Um, but the the next step will be that that really heavy consultation piece with our community, then going back up to council for endorsement in June 2019, and then it'll be you know full steam ahead of systems go in building a smart future. Um, well, it sounds like you've got a busy and exciting sort of 2019 and beyond coming up. Um, I, I want to ask Patrice, the individual Patrice, what you're most excited about for 2019 in this space? Oh, I think there's just so much potential. Um, as I said before, we need to demand a better standard of government across Australia um, and work together, collaborate across, across different organisations and government agencies a bit better. So I'm personally really excited about my capacity to influence that and make change and make real improvements for government. That's always been sort of my passion and my reason for being. So I think this is a, a really good um, place to do that. I think genuinely, I think that smart cities and innovation in government is the best chance that we have of, of making it 
you know, really what the community demands, what they need, what they want, and uh, certainly what they deserve. I love, um, I love the passion there, Patrice. Um, I need to congratulate you on that. Um, I, I asked this final question of all of our local government representatives that, um, that join an episode on the Chronicles. And my question is, who have you got a smart cities crush on? oh that's a that's a tough one I think it's really interesting I don't look to other smart cities if that makes sense I certainly do um but when I look at I certainly look at what other people are doing in the space but when I look at who's creating really huge impact I, I kind of you know tend to branch out and look at what other people are doing across the sector so I think um Oh, goodness you, me. Smart you, you're not crush. answering the question. You're not answering the question. I know. <laughs> okay, well, how about I give you two? So there's, yes. okay, from a smart city space, there's, I think, Kevin in Portland is just doing incredible work. I think they're doing some really exciting stuff that's quite similar to our journey in how they're um, looking at marginalised communities and really creating real improvement. I mm. think when, I mean, I hate to compare Canterbury Bankstown to any other any other LGA across the world, but I think when you compare, we're kind of closest to them in terms of really trying to um, find solutions to some of the major socioeconomic issues that we have in our LGA. I think when you look across government, and I go broader than that, I couldn't go past Pia Andrews. I think she's just mm-hmm. such an empowering and impactful person doing really great things and fighting the good fight to um, create a better standard of government across certainly New South Wales and Australia. Yeah, absolutely. I would, uh, I would totally, uh, totally second both of those, um, those references. Um, so for now, Patrice, um, we need to, we need to wrap. I wanted to, um, wanted to sort of extend a, uh, a really big thank you for coming onto the Chronicles and sharing uh, your journey with the creation of the CB City Roadmap um, and very much encourage our listeners to go and track that down. Um, and Patrice, no, no doubt you would be uh, more than willing and happy to sort of chat with others and share, uh, share your sort of journey with others outside of this, this podcast forum. Um, but for now, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and for our listeners, just again, that was uh, Patrice Donovan, who is the Digital Innovation Smart Cities Program Manager at the City of Canterbury-Bankstown, sharing their journey in creating their Smart CB City Roadmap. Uh, I encourage our listeners, if they haven't already, to subscribe to the Chronicles podcast. You can do that through the usual podcast platforms, iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud. Uh, Or also head to our website, smartcitychronicles.com. And if you'd like to give some feedback, we'd love uh, to receive feedback. You can email us at chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. But for now, uh, we need to end this episode. Look forward to talking again to you soon and hope you all keep well. Thanks.